the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today we'll continue our new study in Colossians. The series title is Don't Lose Your Head, borrowed from Colossians 2.19. And the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Today's part two is Jesus, the head of the class. We'll continue unpacking the supremacy of Christ in this incredible letter. Friends, I'd like to share a true story of an orphaned boy who lived with his grandmother. One day their house caught fire. The grandmother tried to climb upstairs to rescue him, but sadly died in the flames. But the boy's loud cries were heard by a man who climbed up an iron drain pipe, then down with the boy clinging to him. A public hearing was held to decide who'd get custody of the boy. A farmer, a teacher, and the town's wealthiest man appeared, giving reasons why they should be chosen. Each presented their case, but the boy just stared at the floor, head down. All of a sudden, without prearrangement, a stranger walked to the front. He slowly took his hands out of his pockets, showing severe scars. People gasped, but the boy looked up and immediately recognized the man. This man rescued him. His hands were burned when he climbed up the hot drain pipe. The boy lunged at him, threw his arms around his neck, holding on as if for dear life. Well, seeing that, the other candidates silently walked away, leaving the lad with his rescuer. Those scarred hands settled the issue. Friends, the spiritual parallel is clear, isn't it? This human story vividly portrays what Jesus did for us. His nail-scarred hands settled the issue. Jesus rescued us from sin and its deadly consequences. Well, rescue is just one of several important themes Paul elaborates on in his Colossian letter. So let's go back to chapter 1. We'll focus on verses 13 through 23, but Paul's prayer in verses 9 through 12 is an important stepping stone. We looked at that incredible prayer last time. 
but it's worth reviewing so we don't lose the connection that the end of Paul's prayer makes to verse 13 and what follows. So, friends, here's verses 9 through 23. Since the day we heard about it, it here being the word of truth, the gospel message, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to the might of his glory, for the attaining of all perseverance and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance in the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Friends, first place can also mean preeminent or supreme, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister or servant. Friends, Paul understands the big picture. The big picture begins with the overarching theme of redemption. In verses 13 and 14, God the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness through the shedding of his son Jesus' blood. So now we have redemption. And the fringe benefit of redemption is the forgiveness of our sins. Friends, verse 19 includes, All the fullness was pleased to dwell in Jesus. That's the fullness of the Godhead. Notice that in verses 13 to 23, Paul interweaves some key doctrines, such as the idea of being rescued or delivered, the doctrine of salvation, the idea of being ransomed or brought back, the doctrine of redemption, the idea of being restored back to a relationship with God. In other words, having a friendship reinstated, the doctrine of reconciliation. There's even a hint that Christ's shed blood being accepted by God as a substitutionary sacrifice that secured forgiveness for our sins points to the doctrine of the atonement. Now, friends, before we can even appreciate these grand doctrinal themes and truths, we must understand at the outset that in this letter, 
Paul introduces us to a cultic vocabulary, a vocabulary of words and phrases that have particular significance for this first century culture and audience. We must strap on first century sandals and envision ourselves in the Greco-Roman world, a world steeped in Greek philosophy, mystery religions, Jewish legalism and mysticism, and emerging Gnostic ideas that infiltrate the newborn churches. We touched on Gnosticism last time, friends, and we'll dip our toes in again and expand on its core beliefs so we can feel like we're there in Colossae. We must attempt to bridge the 2,000-year gap and recreate the spiritual climate in Colossae, a climate that has reappeared in our 21st century. The packaging has changed, but the contents are the same. And friends, you'll see why it's important to understand this first-century cultic vocabulary. Let's quickly review the term Gnosticism. It's from the Greek word gnosis, beginning with a G, meaning knowledge, especially secret knowledge. Secret knowledge was their key to salvation. Plus, the Gnostics incorporated into their religious belief system the Greek philosophical idea of dualism which held that God or spirit was good and the world or matter was evil. They concluded that the created order was evil, inferior, and even opposed to the good. For Gnostics, God may have created the original world or the angelic realm, but each successive order was the work of lesser gods, anti-gods, if you will, called archons, a Greek word that simply means chief or ruler. Paul uses this cultic word in 116, translated rulers. He takes a pagan word, turns it around, and challenges the false teachers that Jesus created all the angelic beings, the angelic hierarchy. Gnostics also taught that the fullness of God is divided among these angelic beings, the last one creating the material world. Fullness for Gnostics meant the totality of all deities, Paul takes this cultic word in 2.9 and turns it around to teach that Jesus alone possesses the fullness of God. Plus, in Gnostic thought, the earth is surrounded by cosmic spheres that stand between God and humans. These spheres are viewed as a hierarchy ruled by the archons. In other words, they guard their respective spheres and possess power to ban or disqualify souls who seek to ascend from the realm or dominion of darkness and captivity to the realm of light, which is above the spheres. So, Gnostic redemption is for the soul only. In their system, Jesus is just one of the angelic spirits in the hierarchy, just one emanation from God, so to speak sharing just a portion of God's fullness, attributes, and deity. Friends, Gnostics also embraced the Greek understanding of human personality, compartmentalizing human beings into body, soul, and spirit. The Gnostic adaptation of this said that since the body and soul are tied to earthly existence, they both are evil since matter is evil. They also taught that the human spirit is our only divine component, But our spirit is asleep and must be awakened and liberated by knowledge, the secret knowledge only they possess, which was often doled out for a fee. Does this sound familiar, friends? The 21st century religion, 
Scientology is Gnosticism repackaged for mass consumption. And this Gnostic salvation, after the human spirit is awakened by knowledge, releases the soul from bondage to its earthly body and reunites it with their Gnostic god of light. But there's more. During the soul's ascent, it must penetrate those cosmic spheres between it and the Gnostic god, ruled by those archons, those guardians of the galaxy, if you will. And only more knowledge enables the soul's advancement through these spheres, knowledge through certain formulas only given to the initiated. So, friends, this cultic vocabulary, these buzzwords and phrases should jump out at us as we read Colossians, because Paul co-ops them to both counteract the false teaching infiltrating the Colossian church and redefines them to disciple the Colossians to stay rooted in just who Jesus was and is. Here's a few more cultic terms and phrases Paul uses. Verse 9, knowledge. Now, we've already familiarized ourselves with this word from its Gnostic sense, but knowledge in the biblical sense always refers to full personal experiential knowledge, not just possessing information or facts. Paul argued that Christians, not Gnostics, possess genuine knowledge because for Judeo-Christian believers, knowledge and wisdom came from the one true God of the Hebrews. Verse 10, worthy of the Lord. The expression worthy of God was found in ancient pagan inscriptions throughout Asia. These picture a person's life being weighed on scales to determine its worth. Paul tweaks this to motivate the Colossians in that if the devotees of pagan gods sought to live in a worthy manner, how much more should they dedicate their lives to the living God to please him as chapter 1's prayer exhorts? Verse 12, qualified you. The Gnostics cowered before their pagan angelic deities who in their minds had power to disqualify their soul from ascending through the cosmic spheres on the way to their heavenly realm of light where their Gnostic God lived. Paul's point is that no spirit power in the universe can disqualify those in Christ per verses 4 and 5. Verse 13, dominion of darkness. Let's remember, friends, our primary focus in Colossians is the supremacy of Christ in all things. So two questions we should keep before us are, in what ways is Christ's supremacy brought out in this letter? And how does Paul's argument for the supremacy of Christ counteract the false teachers? Christ's supremacy appears in verse 13. In the first phrase, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Dominion and kingdom are two different words here, and the difference is significant. First, this dominion of darkness refers to the domain of Satan's rule and authority. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane scene after Jesus was arrested? Luke twenty-two fifty-two and 53 say, Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. Here it is now. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. And guess what? This word power here is the same word as domain in Colossians 1.13. In Ephesians 6:12 Paul says, "Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. And although this is technically a different word for power, it has parallel meanings like domain, dominion, even jurisdiction. In other words, a power that operates in a designated or demarcated area. Take heart, friends. Scripture teaches us that Satan's authority and power is restricted, regulated, and delegated. And when originally used, this word referred to a jurisdiction lower than that of a king. Amen. Friends, what's the classic scriptural example of Satan's authority and power being restricted and regulated? It's Job. If you haven't read Job lately, please at least read chapters 1 and 2. They correct a common misunderstanding we often have of Satan's abilities. And second, the word kingdom in Colossians 1.13 means royal rule and reign. In other words, a king's reign whose authority supersedes all others. Now, friends, remember Matthew 28.19, Jesus' great commission? But can you recite the verse before it? Matthew 28, 18? Ah, here Jesus declares, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus uses the same word Paul uses in Ephesians 6. Here meaning God has authorized or delegated or empowered Jesus to have jurisdiction in heaven and on earth. Friends, in Colossians 1.13, Paul contrasts the supremacy or superiority of Christ with the inferiority of the lesser gods, those archons of the false teachers, those angelic beings who have authority only in their own cosmic spheres of operation, and who the Gnostic God has delegated power to create only a portion of the material world. Well, let's take a second look at a few verses in Colossians 1, 13 through 20, verses where Paul intentionally shows a contrast, reinforcing the fact that Christ's supremacy extends to him being supreme over the entire created order. In other words, Christ is supreme in creation. So he created all things, including the angelic order, known variously as thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, etc. For he, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And let me just pause here. Chapter 2.19 suggests that there are some who are not holding firm to Christ, the head. Chapter 1's verses continue. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place or supremacy in all things. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in the heavens, having made peace through the blood of his cross. 
Then, friends, the cherry on the whipped cream verses, 21 and 22. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death. Now remember, friends, the Gnostics believed that the material world was evil, including the human body. But Paul goes on to say that this death of Jesus in the body now enables him to present us before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Wow, what an incredible benefit, right? Now, friends, one other thing I'll mention in these verses is the fact that there's a particular aberrant Christian group out there, and you know them well, I'm sure, that claim Jesus being called the firstborn means he was a created being. This is purely and simply sloppy and shoddy interpretation at work. Firstborn was borrowed from Paul by his Jewish upbringing to reinforce the idea that Jesus was above all other angelic beings. Firstborn was the Hebrew way of saying someone was especially honored. It does not refer to physical birth order, but to one's place of honor before God. Friends, Scripture testifies that Israel was called God's firstborn in Exodus 4 and Jeremiah 31, as was David in Psalm 89. So, firstborn carries over from its Old Testament usage into the New Testament, now meaning first in position, heir, or supreme, as Paul intends in Colossians 1.18. Paul is instructing the Colossians that Jesus is heir and ruler of all creation as the eternal Son. Colossians 1.18 ties in with Hebrews 1.1 and 2. As such, Jesus has a place of honor over all creation, including all the angelic beings. So, since Jesus created all things, he could not be a created being himself. Jesus now has preeminence or supremacy in all things. So, we learn from Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is supreme in creation. We also learn that Jesus is supreme in redemption. Verse 14 reiterates that in and through Jesus we now have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What makes Jesus supreme in redemption over the beliefs of the Gnostic false teachers? Jesus' redemption is a redemption of the whole person. Yes, even our physical bodies. This is in direct opposition to the prevailing Greek philosophy that the body was just a physical prison and the soul needed to be released or escaped from the evil body. Take Acts chapter 17. If you haven't read it recently, read it again. Note Paul's discussion with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who were steeped in a Gnostic philosophical mindset. Very enlightening. Friends, redemption acts like an umbrella over the other key themes I mentioned. Salvation, reconciliation, atonement, and forgiveness of sins. These are all accomplished because of the physical death and shed blood of Jesus, per verse 22. Now, we also learn from Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is supreme in the church. At times, it doesn't seem that way, does it? Colossians 1, 17 and 18 say, He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. Paul's understanding of the headship of Christ in and over the church is repeated in chapter 2, verse 19. He lists some false practices and then concludes that there are those who are not holding firmly to the head, meaning Christ, 
from whom the entire body, meaning the body of Christ, the church, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. Paul shares similar truths in Ephesians chapter 1. God raised Jesus from the dead, bodily, I might add, and seated him above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ever wonder if Jesus is functioning as the head over the leaders and operations of your church? Is there a litmus test you can use here? Yes, there is. While there's instructions throughout the New Testament, let's sample some portions right from Colossians. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, for starters, Since you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So is your pastor or pastors and leaders urging you to die to earthly things and continue seeking the godly things above? How about verses 5 through 10? Read these on your own. Then ask, is your pastor or pastors and leaders urging you to live in a way that displays the image of God in your lives? Are they motivating you to rid yourselves of sinful behavior and walk in obedience? What about verses 12 through 14? Check these verses out too. Then ask yourself, am I aware if my pastor or pastors and leaders are living in unreconciled relationships with others? Or am I living in unreconciled relationships with others in my church? Now, is the supremacy of Christ in all things being lived out in our lives and in our church community? These certainly are some questions to answer. Amen. And Colossians has the answer. Don't lose your head. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of today's program. A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. So if it's blessing you, please join the support team, especially during these challenging financial times. Email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the word friends if you would like to let pastor tom know what this program has meant to you email him at a word from the word at minister.com that's a word from the word at minister.com Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.